Again, want to welcome everybody. So glad that you're here today worshiping uh, Mother's Day next weekend. We're going to have an awesome Mother's Day service. Uh, do, do you know that mothers, it's, it, it's one of the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother. Jesus even dealt with the issue from the cross, taking care of his mother. It is, it's going to be a great, great service. Bring your mother, bring somebody, but be here. It's going to be awesome. Now, today, I want to start a little series of messages on the kingdom of God. But I want you to get a, a load of the title that I put on this. You can have a saved soul and a lost life. A saved soul, but a lost life. So I want us to, to look at salvation today with new eyes. I uh, want us to think a little bit of some, some thoughts that may be a little different than you've had before. And uh, I have been praying and believing that the Bible is going to come alive to you today. Now, when Mary is still in Nazareth, she's engaged to Joseph. The angel Gabriel comes to her and said, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. He'll be great, will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now notice the angel said he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. Now, by the way, where was that throne? Anybody? Jerusalem. That is correct. And uh, another correct answer would be it was on earth. <laughs> True. Because, because here, here, most of us think about our Christianity is that we're forgiven and we're going to go someplace. We're going to go to heaven. But in a sense, that's true because you do go there, but you don't stay there. Right? Now, how many read your Bibles? Revelation chapter 20. You're going to be here on earth ruling and reigning with Jesus for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 21, God makes a new heaven and a new earth. That's a new atmosphere and a new earth. And then the city of God that is in heaven comes down to earth forever. Now, I don't care if you're Catholic, if you're Calvinist, uh, Lutheran, but it doesn't matter. What, that is what every Christian denomination believes. All of them. All right. Now, the problem is that that's what our, 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 our statements of faith say, but that's not what most of us think. Because most of us think we're going to go someplace else for all of eternity. But the truth is that place you think you're going to is coming here. He's making a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to sit on the throne of his father, David, which was, by the way, on earth. And notice it says he will reign. He'll reign. And of his kingdom... There will be no end. It is the eternal kingdom. And what's he going to do? He's going to reign. Who reigns? Kings. Who has kingdoms? Kings. So, so I want us to think about salvation with maybe a little bit different eyes. Because most Christians in Western culture think that Jesus came... And his purpose 
for coming was to save individual sinners so they could go to heaven. Now, that statement is true. Jesus came and say to save individual sinners and they're going to go to heaven. But now, now listen, it's true, but it's not the whole truth. It's true, but it's incomplete because that is just part of what he came to do. In fact, we are confusing the means with the end. That was the means to get to a different place. Uh, forgiveness of sins is not God's end game. Getting you saved is not God's end game. And, and unfortunately, so often we, uh, we, we just get in and we're content with just the forgiveness of sins, but that's not all God's wanting for us. It's a very, very shallow and incomplete view of salvation. In fact, I, I would, when, when I look at, at Christianity today in Western culture, what I see most of us have is a privatized salvation. It's about me. It's about my being forgiven. It's about my being blessed. It's about me going to heaven. I get saved and I get my God Mark credit card. Me, me, me. And we have a consumer approach to Christianity. And it is easy and it's convenient. We're just consumers. And, and, and by the way, even the local church doesn't work with a bunch of consumers. You know, there, there has, today there's probably about 500 volunteers to make this happen. But if all we have is, I'm just coming for me, we have the wrong attitude. Because salvation is not about my desires and my needs and my leisure and my stuff and my entertainment. And we just don't take my, my Jesus credit card and go to God Mart and get what I want. Because that's what consumer Christianity is about. Now, I have here a Happy Meal to make you happy. Now, notice here we got a tiger and we got a bear and a frog and I think that's a raccoon. Oh, Man, we've got a penguin, we've got turtles, we've got a whale, big smiley face. Guy. Now, 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 when you go to McDonald's, your kids are excited about the box. The box is pretty cool. But the box is a delivery system to get something that's inside the box to you. Now, you're being forgiven. What Jesus did coming to get you forgiven and to get you saved is like this box. It is a delivery system because it gets you to what is inside. And it's what's inside that God is really interested in, not the box. And by the way, inside here, whew, we got a little bear. That's fun. We got some fries, supposed to be the best anywhere. Right. We got some chicken McNuggets. We got, what have we got here? Ooh, we got some Gogurt. Ooh, fun. It's a little cold yet. And of course, chocolate milk. Now, it's, it's what's inside that the parents are concerned about. And the kids are concerned about the delivery system, the box. God is concerned literally with you about more than you're getting saved and forgiven. He has a much bigger plan. That salvation and forgiveness is God's box to get to you what he wants for your life. Now, maybe this, this will help. 
Think about who is Jesus? Who is he? Now, somebody says he's my savior. It's true. He's the lamb of God. He's the fourth man in the fire. He's called the son of man. He's called the son of God, the sacrifice for sin, the Messiah. He's the great I am. He's the prince of peace. He's the good shepherd. He's the Lord of lords. He's the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies. Those are all good answers. Those are all true. Those are all scriptural. But they are not the premier thing that the Bible talks about that Jesus is. In fact, the Jews were looking for the Messiah. And when Jesus came, they did not recognize him. Because they were not looking for a suffering servant. They were looking for a reigning king. In fact, it's not only the, 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 the Pharisees or the Jews that missed it. John the Baptist missed it. He's in prison and he said, man, go and ask that Jesus guy, are you the one? Because I'm looking at what you're doing and you're not what we expect. And even after Jesus has risen from the dead, the disciples are still asking the other questions because they still don't get it. So they weren't looking for a suffering servant. They were looking for a king. They were looking for someone who's going to throw off the oppressors. They were looking for someone who would sit on the throne of David. They were looking for someone who's going to rule and reign and bring righteousness and justice. In Luke 1, the angel said to Mary, you'll conceive in your womb, you'll bring forth a son, you'll call his name Jesus. Now, this is important because it is the first time that the Messiah's name is revealed. Now, he's been, pro he's been prophesied all through the Old Testament. From Genesis 3, it said that there is a, there is a serpent bruiser's head coming. There's somebody who's coming who's going to bruise the serpent's head talking about the Messiah, but it didn't give his name. Nobody knew that name until the angel came and spoke to Mary and then later Joseph. And literally it means the salvation of Jehovah, the salvation of Jehovah. So he's God's salvation. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is eternal. He wasn't created. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But when you look in the Old Testament, the number one thing it says about Jesus is that he would be a king. That is the overriding theme of all Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. He'd be a king, a savior. Yes, but king, 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 king. Now, I, now I have a friend up in the church in Cadillac. Uh, I've been to his house a couple times for dinner. His name is Buzz. Now, now, Buzz is probably in his early 70s. And, and I don't think he's been saved for a decade yet. So he didn't serve the Lord most of his life. He's like, a, he was a wild man, but he still is a wild man. Now, when you talk to Buzz, you need to realize that his language may be a little bit colorful. But, 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 but one of the things that I love about Buzz is that whenever you talk about Jesus, he goes, the king. The king, the king, he realizes that's who, that's who he is. He is the king. He would sit on the throne of his father, David. The government would be on his shoulders and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Daniel in Daniel chapter two said it like this. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom 
What's he going to set up? A kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. Forever. Isaiah 2. And he'll judge between the nations. He'll rebuke many people. They'll beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn anymore. Why? Because the king is here. He's ruling. And one of his names is the Prince of Peace. So as Christians, we mostly just see him as a savior who suffered. And we, we, totally, we, we totally miss the fact he's a king. He's a king. The, the Jews missed him as a suffering servant to, that would come and pay for our sins because they were just looking for the king. Now today, because Jesus' message is, is always about the kingdom. In fact, he came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Message Bible says it a little differently. It says, rethink your life because God's kingdom is here. That was Jesus' message. All the way through, he would talk about the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, he gives seven parables. Every one of them begins this way. And the kingdom of heaven is like. N not salvation is like a kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven is like. There's the parable of the sower, of the wheat and the tares, the leaven, the mustard seed, the, the treasure hidden in a field, the pearl of great price, the dragnet. But every one of them, Jesus starts, the kingdom of heaven is like. Not salvation is like a kingdom, but the kingdom is like. In the Lord's prayer, he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, literally, you could put in parentheses besides that, your kingdom come in my life and through my life. Your kingdom come in my life and through my life. He didn't save you just to get you to heaven. Jesus wasn't looking for people just to get to heaven. In fact, he said, go and make disciples, not Christians, make disciples of all nations. He wants kingdom participants, not consumers. Consumers go to church when it's convenient. Consumers are what's in it for me. When Jesus arose from the dead, in Acts 1, he spends 40 days with his disciples. And it says, during those 40 days, speaking to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, now, now the disciples, that they understand that this, he's going to be a king. And so they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that prophecy that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to be fulfilled. He said, I will make you a great nation. The, the word great there, it actually means premier, superior, above all others. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and to rule and to reign and to lift that kingdom and to take the, the, the yoke of the oppressors of the Romans off from them. 
He speaks about the kingdom of God. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus didn't say, no, 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 no. Salvation is just about getting forgiven and going to heaven. No, he said, it's not for you to know the time or the season that the father has put in his own authority. He said, yeah, it's going to be, that's, it's coming. It's coming. You see, the, the, the mystery of the kingdom is that the kingdom is coming and that the kingdom is here. Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. He said the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you can't see it. You will look at the kingdom, but you won't recognize it. You'll think it's a religion. You'll think it's a philosophy. You'll think it's a moral code for life, but it's not a religion, which is what most people make Christianity. It is not a religion. It's a kingdom. Any other answer is incomplete. Jesus is a king. Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, three, four miles out of Jerusalem. Wise men came from the east, Iraq, Iran, in that area. And they came and they began to question, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? And they end up at Herod's palace. Now, this is Herod the Great. And for those of you that, that, that read your Bible much, it can be kind of confusing with Herod's. Because a Herod dies and then another Herod comes along and he gets eaten by worms. And then 20 years later, Paul's preaching to Herod. Now, Herod is a family name. It's like Smith. So you, you've got Herod the Great and then you've got three of his sons that are mentioned and his grandson that's mentioned and his granddaughter that are mentioned. So, so, so there's, a, there's a lot of Herods running around. But Herod was placed as king of the Jews by the Romans. He was not Jewish. He was a descendant of Esau. He was an Edomite and his grandfather had converted to Judaism. And this guy, uh, if you go to Israel today, uh, his stamp is everywhere. Herod the Great. He's the one that built the temple. Took 38 years where Jesus preached. The most sacred place in Judaism today is the Wailing Wall which Herod built. It was part of the foundation wall for that temple, part of the, yeah, I guess you would call it the foundation wall. Uh, he built Caesarea Maritime, uh, which was one of the wonders of the world at the time. This is the, but we just saw the uh, amphitheater that's there, that's what I would refer to it as, uh, sat around 3,500 people. And Pontius Pilate was mentioned in the Bible, but no place could they find him mentioned in secular Roman history until they got into that amphitheater. And when they picked up one of the seats there, there was his name engraved, Pontius Pilate. There he had, of course, it's just confirming the Bible. 
he, he built Masada because he was so afraid that the people were going to rebel. It sits on top of a mountain uh, down by the Dead Sea. And it was his place where he was going to run if he ever had trouble. Uh, just a, a, like I said, his, his, his picture, his touch, it's everywhere. In fact, I got to tell you, one, the biggest mistake that we made in Israel. I, I'm reading my Bible and Abraham's wife, Sarah, dies. And it says that he buys the field from the Hittites, you know, with the cave and with all the trees. And it's in Hebron. And, and I'm like, I want to see that. Got to go there. So I said to the tour company, we want to go. Abraham's tomb. And they said, well, not. No, it's in the Palestinian territory. I said, we want to go. They said, only in a bulletproof bus. So they get us a bulletproof bus. It was probably a good idea. It, it, it snowed. And so we're on our way there and the Palestinians are taking rocks, putting them in snowballs and they are pounding our bus. But finally we get there and I'm expecting, was this trees, field, cave, Herod ruined everything. He built this enormous structure over the top. 2000 years ago, he messed things up for us. But you go to Israel, he, he has pictures everywhere. Now, this guy was so power hungry that he murdered three of his own sons who he thought might be conspiring against him, as well as his wife, for the same, for the same reason. Uh, he was connected with Cleopatra and Mark Anthony in the rebellion, trying to literally get Mark Anthony to become the next Caesar. They were defeated by Octavian. Uh, and, and when they were, of course, uh, Cleopatra commits suicide. And they're going to come after Herod, and he knows it. So he finds out where Octavian is. He's now become the new Caesar. And he shows up at his door, at his getaway summer estate, and knocks on the door. And they're like, Herod's at the door. And he's like, he's planning on having Herod executed. And Herod comes in and says, you know that I was with Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. He supplied thousands of troops to them from Judea to fight against Octavian. And Octavian is planning on literally cutting his head off. And he says, you know, I was with them and I helped them and I was faithful to them until the end. And this is what you need to know about me. When I pledge my allegiance to somebody, I will be faithful and I will serve them to the bitter end. And I pledge my loyalty to you from this time forward, from today on. Octavian was so impressed. He not only sent him back as king of the Jews, but gave him additional territory. His, his, when the, when the, the, the wise men come, this is the guy they come to. They come to Herod. Now, he's going to be dead in just a few years. He's old. But they're looking for the king of the Jews. And so he said to those wise men, he said, when you find him, come back and let me know so I can go and worship him. Well, his real intent is I'm going to go and kill him. Well, they find Jesus. And the Bible says they're warned in a dream not to return and tell Herod. And so they return a different way. And when Herod finds out, he sends his soldiers to Bethlehem and has every child in Bethlehem and the region 
under two years of age, murdered. But God had given Joseph a dream and said, Herod's going to try to kill the child. Arise and go to Egypt. And the Bible says that night, right when he had the dream, he just got up, took baby Jesus and Mary and went to Egypt. Change your life, Jesus said, because God's kingdom is here. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned before us. Planned beforehand for us, taking paths he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now listen, the Bible says that God has prepared good works for you to do. He has planned good works. He's prepared paths ahead of time for you to do good works. You, you and I are not supposed to be consumers in the kingdom. We're supposed to be participants of the kingdom. Wherever we go, we're supposed to bring the kingdom. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to those who are in the house. So let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. How many of you know nobody is impressed with the win-loss record of a referee? You know, so long, what, what, what is he really? He, he's, he's an observant person, but he's not a participant. John Wesley said, do all the good that you can by all the means that you can and all the ways that you can and all the places that you can and all the times that you can to all the people you can for as long as you ever can. See, we're, we're not supposed to just be participants, consumers. We are supposed to have that kingdom on the inside and it's supposed to be manifested. In Romans 12, 16, have the same concern for everyone. Don't be proud, but accept humble duties. Don't think of yourself as wise. You know, we, we're supposed to be doing something in the kingdom of God. God has prepared good works beforehand for us to do. You know, I, I want to encourage you, uh, find a place to serve. Call the, the homeless shelter, Mel Trotter. See if you can serve. Notice it says to accept humble duties, like working in the nursery. I mean, changing diapers might be humble enough. Serve the hungry, work in a parking lot, minister to children, do something. You know, our devotion to God is demonstrated and authenticated by our devotion to those in need. Our Christianity should never just be sermons and songs and beliefs and creeds and prayers. It needs to be action. It needs to be doing something. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And the Bible says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, you can have a saved soul, but a lost life. If you're living just for yourself, you're just a consumer and it's all about me. If you're not serving, if you're not doing the good works 
that he has prepared beforehand for you, taking the path he prepared ahead of time. You may have a saved soul, but you have a lost life. Because life is not supposed to be about you. It's supposed to be about the kingdom and serving the king. It's not enough to get to heaven. We want to get to heaven having done something with our lives that glorifies God and not just about ourselves. Let me close with this story. In 313, Constantine said he had a vision and uh, he is about to fight a battle which will determine whether or not he will become the next Roman Empire, emperor. And in this dream, he said God spoke to him and, and he said he became a Christian. Now, what we know for sure is that his mother, Helena, was a true believer way before this. Well, then in, when he won, he made all religions legal. Christianity became legal in the Roman Empire and it ended persecution. And several years later, Christianity actually becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Catholic Church is what is left of the official religion of the Roman Empire. That's what it is. Well, a few years later, in fact, in, in uh, 361, Julian becomes emperor. And he's actually referred to as Julian the Apostate because he tries to bring the Roman Empire back into paganism. He's building temples to Zeus and Epaphrodites, and he's trying to get rid of Christianity and bring back paganism. Now, now he wrote some letters, and I didn't want to just give you a little bit of a couple of these letters. He said, he's talking about why they aren't making any progress. He said, we're trying to bring heathenism back, but it's just not taking. He says, the impious Galileans, now that's his word for Christians. He said, they take care of their own poor and ours. He said, they're constantly doing all these good things. And it makes it really hard to promote paganism when these impious Galileans are out here taking care of everybody who's poor and everybody who's in need. You know, during the, the, the days of the Roman Empire, if you had a child, you didn't want that child for whatever reason, baby. You could just take that child out to the edge of the forest or edge of a river and just leave that child. Now, you didn't murder that child because they said you left it to its destiny. Right? You just left it to its destiny. You know who picked up all those children they could find? It was the Christians that picked them up. You know who started all the first orphanages? Christians. Why? Because they wanted to do what Jesus would do. See? So then he, he continues, he says, it's shameful. What he's talking about is in, in cities in the ancient world, plagues would hit the city. And anybody who had the means to get out of the city, they didn't know how sicknesses were being transferred, but they knew that they were being transferred. So if you were in that city and a plague hit the city and you had the means to get out, you got out. And he's talking about, he said, it's shameful that ours, our people, should be so destitute of assistance. He said, when everybody leaves, the Christians, they come in and they take care of not just their sick people, they take care of everybody's sick people. They don't care who you are. He says, and it's really hard to promote paganism when these Christians keep doing all this good stuff. 
Now, now, now listen, those Christians stood for everything you stood for today. But you know what? They were not known for what they stood against. They were known for their good deeds. They were known for laying down their lives. Jesus said, let your good works be seen before men that they will glorify your father who is in heaven. And the apostate Julian, his letter, he meant it to be a kick into the Christian's face to say bad things about him. But the truth is what he was doing is he was saying, look at those people. They're like Jesus and they are glorifying their father who is in heaven. A selfish life does not do that. A selfish life. But when we have the attitude that Jesus had, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude, the same heart that Jesus had. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You're here today. You're not right with God. But you want to be right with God. Or you're here and you say, I don't know if I'm right with God. I want to be. I think you know this God loves you and you may be religious. You might go to church or you may be living a godless life. Nothing that you could do would make him love you more and nothing you could do could make him love you less. The most important subject that can ever be mentioned is the eternity of your soul. Now, the Bible says this to as many as receive him. To them, he gives the right to be the children of God. It's not enough to know about him. It's not enough to just believe certain things about him. You need to receive him. Receive him in your heart as your king and as your savior. That when he went to that cross and shed his blood and paid for your sin, that that blood paid for your sin. And that is your entrance into the kingdom of God. When you receive him. Receive what he did for you and receive him as your king. The apostle Paul wrote and he said, it's as though God were pleading through us. We implore you in Jesus place, be reconciled to God. And today, I beg you, if Jesus was here, he would beg you to give your heart, to get right with God. And we are begging you. Don't walk out of this place not knowing if you're right with God, away from God. I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, if you're not right and you need to get right, you don't know where you stand with God, this is for you. When I say three, lift that hand. We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. As you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is you're saying, God, I know I need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. And I'm coming to Jesus today to become a part of your kingdom. One, as you lift your hand, you're saying to God today, I'm going to give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm living for Jesus. Two, now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying today Jesus is going to come into my heart. Blood washed me from my sin. 
make me a new person on the inside, a part of his kingdom on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Pray with me. I'm not right, but I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand. Are there others? Include me. I'm not where I should be. I want to get right. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Others. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Another hand over here. God bless you. Another hand here. Would everybody please stand? Pastor went long. So just take your hand, put it over your heart. Lift your hand, other hand towards heaven. And let's pray with everybody who lifted their hand. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I receive him as my king. I thank you, you've heard my prayer. That I'm forgiven. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom. On my way to heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen.